0: Thanks worship team, appreciate uh, serving uh, our God in, through music and worship and uh, it's, it's really good to sing. That uh, last song, uh, I can attest to that, maybe some of you heard I had a little bit of an uh, incident this past week where I, had to, I was asking, okay, what, what would my wife do being a nurse and I ended up going into the hospital here and they actually drove me over to Duluth. And I did some checking on some heart stuff, and the uh, doctor was convinced that he was going to have to put a stent in, but when they went in there, and there was nothing. So I, uh, I attribute it to God being really faithful, um, in that and it was interesting on my ride over there it was it was bumpier than I thought it would be but uh, trying to engage in this uh, the guy that was sitting behind me uh, back there watching me but he just didn't want to talk so I ended up reading my Bible and uh, and it was actually on my phone I have my Bible on my phone so I had that but God was good and uh, everything was was uh, did well um, I, I, I too, Doug shared about the discipleship meetings. Um, I'd love to see some of you even on uh, Saturday night. We have a gathering. I don't know if it's full or not after the first service, but uh, 10, 12 people were trying to get together. And uh, we actually serve a meal when you do it at our house versus when we do it here. So it's just a lot nicer setting. But if you're interested, we really do want your input on those discipleship uh, gatherings. We've been working through a series. On the family. If you're new here, we just want to welcome you as well. But uh, another last week, two weeks ago, we worked on this word believing. It's painted on the wall out there. But we come to a third word, and it's that word becoming. And, and when you stop and think about it, that we want an environment and how we've been approaching it, we want an environment where the lives of our children can change within our families. And kind of the approaches we look at kind of coming at it from the context of what is our family culture? What's the environment? What's the soil in which we are providing for our children? And my hope in doing this series, frankly, that would spur us on to evaluate our culture that we have within the home. And if changes are needed, I would encourage you to prayerfully say, "God, what do we need to do to provide that kind of environment?" We can't guarantee that our children are gonna to move toward Christ. I understand that. And that's and I think sometimes we think we can, but we can look at the culture of our home and evaluate that in that sense. But when you cut this idea of becoming, uh becoming like Christ. It's words like transformation, spiritual maturity, uh, walking, growing in one's faith. That's what we're really talking about. Where we want our children that to be happening within their hearts and their minds and their souls. So this idea, uh, we're going to walk through just a couple of things today, and we're trying to make it. I'm trying to make it very practical today in some of the illustra- illustrations. But number one, if you're taking notes and you're following on, a key issue. In our culture as a family I said this we need to create an environment where disciple making conversations take place now now let me dig a little bit on that area all conversations with our kids are not created equal and the reality is at some some of these conversations have the opportunity to move them and push our children to embrace Jesus but I, but a, ch- a challenge in it is where I go. I don't think they happen enough in families. Matter of fact, letter A. If if you're following along the notes, no or few spiritual conversations equal little or no spiritual influence. Too often, families are devoid of of conversations that can help our children move toward Christ. I grew up in a home, so I grew up in an evangelical free church just like this. And looking back, I had a number of those conversations with my mom. I I don't remember one spiritual conversation with my father. They might have been there somewhere, but I do not remember any of them in terms of significant conversations. But now let me just go down an alley as well. Everybody needs to take responsibility for this issue also. Just because you don't have children doesn't mean that you are called, that you're not called to influence even children, young people, other adults, in terms of disciples, in terms of making disciples. But let me push it even farther. If you're parents of grown kids, and let me kind of direct a challenge at you. See, nowhere in Scripture does it point out that parents are to stop or set aside these type of conversations even with our children. I think the Deuteronomy 6 points to that and also when you go to Matthew 18. This call to make disciples, it doesn't stop when our children turn 18 or when they get married. Matter of fact, I think for older parents, you need to continue to pursue them especially in a relational way, and, and build a deeper relationship. Now, now I recognize it, it's not as easy, but there's a payoff. Even this last week, I, I, I realized that. When we grow old, for us that are a bit older, do you understand if we continue to pursue relationships with our children, it is far easier for them to honor their parents, when we get older. It really is. If we maintain the relationship, pursue it, and even continue to try to influence in a gracious way. Because there's going to be a day coming for all of us as we get older that our children might be changing our depends. You understand that? And when they do that, and when they can do it out of honor and their they want to do it versus just duty and I have to do it. So I think there's a profound benefit for us that are older to maintain those relationships and continue that spiritual influence that we can have. It should never stop. But let me... Now some of you might be thinking... Okay, what is a spiritual conversation? What is disciple-making conversations? And this is where I need to just run through kind of some illustrations for you. Take a few minutes to do that. I'm going to go back to an example of fifth grade where my son comes home and he's really annoyed by this neighborhood kid called Billy. His name was Billy. And, and Billy was always coming over to our house, just kind of latching on, and at times it got frustrating for my son. Well, as you begin in one day in particular, he shared and was kind of upset and used some harsh words toward Billy while he's over at our house, and, and, and we had to talk to him and, and try to work some stuff out, and the kind of conversation kind of went like this. We began to ask Andy some questions. Who is Billy? Well, he's where does he live? Okay. what's Tell me about his home. And we discover that Andy, just, he knows this, is that Billy doesn't have a dad at home. There's only a single, a mom. She's not there when he comes home from school. So he goes home after school, and, and there's no one in the, in the home. So he, he would come over to our house all the time. Well, in the course of this conversation, There was a verse that we've used, and we learned along when we were a little bit younger in our faith, and somebody taught us this. And I'm going to put that verse on the screen here. Colossians 1:28. Look what it says: He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. See, as parents, we worked hard at calling our children to be other-centered. Moving away from selfishness and moving them toward becoming other-centered. It's not just what we wanted, we tried to point out. It's what God wanted for their lives as well. But understand, in the course of this conversation, it was like when pieces were to this. Andy, what does it mean to present Billy complete in Christ? What does he need? Does he need Jesus? Does he know Jesus? Well, no. Well, what does he need? You see, these are conversations that influence his thinking. It wasn't necessarily speaking at him. We were trying to speak with him and help him to see people differently. But let me fast forward to a, a conversation in 8th in grade. So, my son's going to a school event, and at that event it was a dance. And, and if you are, know anything about 8th grade boys... There is lots of hormonal changes that are taking place. And there's some things that I needed to talk with him about in terms of physical reactions and physical things that might take place, if you know what I'm talking about here. Um, and, and understand that I didn't get these when I grew up. okay. And many of these conversations, even in, on this particular one, I learned these actually working in a youth ministry. Uh, we look back and, and we were in our late 20s, early 30s working with, with high schoolers and college kids and we were having conversations about these things and we realized that we would look back and go, boy, we wish that we would could have heard this when we were teenagers. And consequently, we try to integrate them into our parenting uh, with our kids. Matter, matter of fact, I would encourage you, working in it, youth ministry and those older children's ministries, they can be the best training grounds for parenting. Okay, Far more than any books we've read on parenting, they've been the most effective for us. But in that conversation, an eighth grader, we're talking about the flesh. We're talking about the idea of purity. What does it mean when thoughts come near your mind? The reactions that can take place. How to present a girl complete in Christ. See, those were all parts to it, and we wanted, if you remember that uh, parenting triangle that I put up a number of weeks ago, but we wanted to connect Andy directly so he was accountable directly to God. It wasn't just about us. So it was his responsibility to present another girl complete in Christ. Well, let me fast forward as well to another conversation. Um, Now, by the way... Um, many of these conversations, I didn't get into uh, pastoral ministry until my, my son was in 10th grade and my daughter was in, in 7th grade. So understand, I, had to, I learned some of these things uh, before that point. But uh, Andy's out of school, he's graduated, he had spent the summer as an intern and uh, over in Poland we, we knew some, some friends that were missionaries and he went over there to spend the summer but he had a girlfriend. And he was very serious with this uh, girl. And, and But Deanna and I had some concerns about the relationship. If you've been in this setting, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. But one of the issues for us, and how do we approach the concern and some of the things we had? Well, one of the things that I experienced in... In uh, my ministry is the benefits of, of Deanna being a very much of a partner in my ministry. She was such a key component of in youth ministry and adult ministries when uh, in ministering within the church. And one of the concerns we had. For this girl, she was a nice girl. She was a Christian, a nice family, uh, just a, a, a solid individual. So there was nothing wrong, but we had one concern. It's this, would she partner with him if he ever went into youth ministry? And that he had expressed that desire. And coming back from Poland, it still was on his mind and thinking about going to then to changing college and going to a Christian college and, and, and kind of going down that path. So I can, I can picture the place that I was actually, the room that I was in with him. And I begin a conversation. I said, Andy, do you know, i I got a question for you. and, and Do you know, realize how much Deanna has been a partner with me in ministry? And he goes, yeah, and he could, he could recognize it. He, was, he understood that. And I asked, basically asked this question. If you move toward ministry someday, do you think that she will be a partner that will willingly and graciously walk with you in that ministry or will she pull you in a different direction? And I left it at that. And it was about a week later, he came back and he actually came home uh, one evening and, and he, was in a little bit, he was really teared up. And he said, Dad, Mom, I just broke up with this gal. Um, I realized that I I'm not convinced that she would have been a partner with me if I went into ministry. He was actually presenting her complete in Christ by doing that. But understand, by if we'd never initiated the conversation, it, it wouldn't have happened. And the concern that we had, he, he wouldn't have at least chewed on it. It could have turned out differently, obviously. But let me fast forward. If you think you're done even in college, let me fast forward to another conversation with, with Andy and Jen. Uh, we had gotten off of a vacation, and, and one of the things that sometimes we do is we'll read a book together on a vacation. This particular time was a marriage book. And, and there was a, just a concept, that I think I shared this when, during the, when we spoke on marriage here last summer, that this concept that basically goes like this. Do we give our spouses the leftovers in our life? Do, do we give them the best emotions and the things that energy? Or do we just are we giving each other the scraps? And it kind of really hit it home for us as we read that book together. And um but here's where how we approached it. Over at their place one day for supper, and we just, just said, Hey, we read a book. And here's a concept that, you know what, just wondering if you guys have ever heard or thought of. So we we express and start talking about this idea of leftovers in terms of a marriage. Well, what was the goal for us at that point? And it was this, we want them to have a healthy marriage. And we believe that we can influence them in the right direction if we continue to maintain those type of conversations. Now, now, the the challenge is, there's a skill to be learned here as well. I I admit that. But youth ministry actually set the stage for me for doing that. And it's a skill of how do you knock on the door relationally, even to adult children, and and say, could we talk? Could we come in? Could we have dialogue about significant things in the spiritual world that might influence maybe even each other? See, there's a goal even parents that are older. If you think that you're done influencing your children spiritually and you just go, okay, I'm done with it. I go, no, <laughs> don't do that. You're not done. Yeah, you got to learn to knock. you got to learn to wait on God. You, you, you wait on those opportunities. But you, and you pray even for them and say, "God, open up the doors to those conversations that can still help disciple my, my adult children." Now, now I recognize this, that, that when you do that, um, if you're older, you have to treat your children like peers, not their kids anymore. Um, and, and do you always do it perfectly? No. And I've actually had to go back to my kids. And I remember a few years ago with Bethany, I, I didn't knock on the door. I kicked it open and I walked in and I had to ask for forgiveness. But there's a place, I think, for parents that you that are older, maybe you need to approach, knock on the door like this, and you just go, you know what? I wish that we had more spiritual conversations. And I apologize, I wish I could have been done better. That might be the knock on the door that say that says, "You want to have continued dialogue with your adult children if you don't If your kids don't know Christ and you do uh, it does take great wisdom. I'll admit to that, but I, I say this: don't give up keep pursuing that relationship with them for spiritual influence you want to have those dialogues where you build continue to build into your lives because that is still discipleship that we are called to I've used this in the past just to point out one thing to, to, to share in terms of why I, I am pushing for adult parents as well, uh, did a, a training one time of called Parents to Parents, Parents of Parents. So we were inviting parents who have older kids to a seminar that I, that I put on one Sunday night. This was a number of years ago. There was about 40, 45 people at that seminar. They're all 55 on up. Okay. Well, we went through the stuff and got to the end of it and I asked this question, how many of you Have had a significant spiritual conversation with at least one of your kids in the last year. You know how many raised their hand? Two. Two of over 40. And you go, that's got to get better within the church. We've got to be doing a better job of that. But, families, how do you initiate those things? How do we influence our kids? Um, even my daughter, when she was here uh, two weeks ago, she was visiting here for the week, and uh, it was, honestly, it's kind of uncomfortable preaching on parenting when your kids are there uh, listening, because they know my flaws, they know my weaknesses. So on the way home, we started this conversation, I said, oh, Bethany, you know, is there anything that you would want to tell your mother that you would have wanted differently, you know? <laughs> Blame it on Deanna. But it was, uh, it was a good time to just start the conversation and we jumped into some parenting stuff that we were able to talk about some, some things. But parents, if you're younger, set up regular times for conversations that might move into the spiritual realm. In Crosby, there was a little cafe there that they had $1.99 pancakes where we tried to regularly take my son or my daughter just to spend time with them before they went to school to pray with them and to just ask, how are they doing? What's happening in the spiritual world? And so set up those conversations. But one very important point here that I think parents forget, and it's this. Um, most of the time, our conversations, when we try to take, make them take place, is when there's conflict going on. And I go, that's not going to work. It's when, the con- it's when your relationship is going smooth, that's when we initiate those conversations. We usually try to do our best parenting right after a conflict or when there's anger, and you go, it won't work. It has to be on a different, a different time, a different setting uh, in there. Um, But let me just point out another issue. And I want to read some verses that really fit into this disciple-making conversation. Look at Proverbs 18. I think I have it in your notes as well. Verse 2, number of verses here from this chapter. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. A fool's lips, verse 6, walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his rune and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then verse 21, very, pointed verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Words matter. Conversations matter. And and letter B for your notes there, I said it this way. We need to create a relational listening environment and learn to set aside monologue conversation. Monologue conversation. Look at verse 2 again. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And if one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. I think most parents, too often, I'm guilty of this as well, is that look back at some of the conversations, and they were monologue conversations. We were speaking at our kids. We were not speaking with our children. See, dialogue implies listening. And that proverb says that you are foolish. We are foolish if we don't learn to listen. If we don't listen, they're just going to view our monologue as an opinion and chances are they're going to maybe too often just outright reject it. But let me give you a a quote from a book. It's a very good parenting book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. A guy by the name of Ted Tripp And look what he says. The finest art of communication is not learning how to express your thoughts. It's learning how to draw out the thoughts of others. And I go, that is so good. Your objective in communication must be to understand your child in that context of parenting. Not simply to have your child understand you. Many parents never learn these skills. Boy, I think back to my parenting and the number of times you go, Bethany, do you understand me? You leave with that. Has anybody ever? Am I the only one that's done that type of thing? You understand? Have you understand me? You go, no. That maybe shouldn't have been the goal. But I think this is true. That quote is true, whether we're our, our children are 20 years old, 30 years old, or 45. See, it applies, though, and it also applies, frankly, that to discipleship within adults as well. But look at another couple of verses here. Proverbs 18 that we read. Verse 6, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin; His lips are a snare to his soul. And the opposite, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And let me add one verse here just to kind of emphasize this point. 1 Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the fainthearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See, there's this issue in disciple-making conversations. Let her see. We need to learn to discern. In our conversations, we must read, we must learn to discern what is really going on. And we can't stamp just one form of communication or one thought over every scenario. That verse 6, a lips, fool's lips walk into a fight. So if our children, we realize our children are tired, they're angry, there's a wall up, to walk into that kind of a conversation, we might be foolish. Do you catch the type of discernment that we actually need in terms of our children? Look at the 1 Thessalonians 5 one, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint heart, help the weak, be patient. See, it implies there that we have to read the situation of where people are at. For some that need admonishment, that's what they need. But for others, it is encouragement. Do we catch that in our children, even in other adults? Or the weak, do we help the weak? Do we understand that there might be something going on within their soul, that there's a there's some kind of discor- deep discouragement we need to help them? And then that last discernment, to be patient with them all. To wait until they're willing to dialogue at times with us. Now, now we realize again, I, I look at those texts in the discernment piece and go, that's not just for kids. For marriages, for discipleship with adults, we need discernment in terms of spiritual conversations. But there's another issue I want to throw at you before we close this morning. We'll do it real quick. Theological issue, a biblical issue. And number two, for your notes, we need to understand that transformation, becoming like Christ, is about the heart. Parents, our understanding, embracing what is spiritual change, we must get this concept. Let me show you some verses. Matthew 12. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of look at this, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 15 18, but the things that come out of the mouth comes from the heart. These make a man unclean. 1519, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Luke 6, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Acts 28, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they may see with their eyes and hear with their hearts. Understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. He's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 6 there. And look at this one. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard the heart for it is the wellspring of life. See, we keep believing as parents that if we can just convince them to act in the right way, that that's going to change them. And I go, no, it will not. Maybe temporarily till they leave the home. Or if they just believe and learn the right things. Or if they just have the willpower to overcome certain sins. And I go, no, it's missing the point of the heart. And, and letter A, I, just a reminder here, remember that behavior is a symptom of the status of the heart, where the heart is at. Out of the heart comes these behaviors. So we keep trying to focus on the behaviors rather than going back to the heart. And even behavior, again, it can be very subjective until they leave home, until they go away from college, till they go away to school. And and they can obey you while they're home, but they may not be interested in really following Jesus. But there's another issue that's a biblical and theological issue that I think we just forget and we we don't keep this glued in our minds. Let her be. Remember that your children do not start out spiritually neutral. We keep thinking that if we can just do A, then B, and then C will happen. You go, no. Theologically, no. Listen again to what David writes in Psalm 51. He understood this issue. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. A child comes out of the womb with his bent that says, I want to control my own world. I want what I want and I don't really care about anybody else. And we just keep thinking that putting controls and behavior that they're going to change that bent. And you go, no, there has to be spiritual transformation in the heart. And, and, and just a caution, if you go to a Christian bookstore, there are hundreds of books on parenting. And what you're going to discover is that there are parent, good Christian books out there on parenting, and there's others that I'd encourage you not even to bother reading. Because there's some that basically start with this idea that that we can shape this a child if you just do certain things. You have a list that you do and then they 're going to come out walking with Jesus. And I go, theologically that 's just inconsistent because of our depravity of where a child starts. And subtly they 're communicating that there's a neutralness to where where they begin. And that if you do these things, they'll walk toward Jesus. It, it's unbiblical. It's bad biblical theology. Matter of fact, some of it really is really about behavior modification. That's really at the heart of some of these books. Look at Jeremiah 17.9 again. Jeremiah understood this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Folks, it's the battle of the flesh that when we're born, what does it really mean? And we're going to dig there more. But let her see just to finish today. The spiritual battle for the heart is a battle to where and to whom your children will give and direct their love. It's not just about obedience. It's about The issue is they are going to love something And whether they're going to walk and love God or whether they're going to walk in this direction and love the world or the things of the world or their self or their their friends or their toys or their pleasures. And you understand that's the same issue for adults as well. That's the dilemma for us also. The battle is for the heart in transformation. Uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit more next week, uh, understand. But let me just close here by speaking, maybe to you that are younger and aren't, uh, I'll, let me be more pointed. If you're a teenager, if you're single, um, we can't always blame mom and dad. Matter of fact, again, most parents that I know want their kids to move to Christ. But kids, children, Students, you have a will. You choose to do what you want to do. And my exhortation toward you is pursue Jesus. But do one other thing. Would you open up your heart to your parents? And matter of fact, maybe you might be a little older and married and you need to open your heart up to your moms and dads. And let, if they're knocking on the door, would you be willing to let them in if they're knocking on your door? See, we really can't blame mom and dad. It comes down to it. Each of us are held accountable as to where we give our love. And God wants to say, he says, love me with your heart, soul, and mind. Put away all of the other stuff and move toward me. But open up your lives to your parents no matter where you're at. I'm convinced that they want the spiritual best for you. Trust them in that as well. Let's stand and be dismissed here. We need to end. Father, this um, is very pointed today in terms of our relationship with our kids and our conversations. And, and uh, Lord, I can look back and there's still lots of regret that I, I wish I would have said this and done this, initiated this. But would you just uh, you give us grace. And so, Lord, for those older parents here, I just pray that there would be a a sense of new purpose, a new desire to move toward their kids, to influence their children, their adult children, toward the kingdom. Uh, Give them the ability to discern and to gently knock on the door uh, of a relationship with them. And Father, for us that may have younger kids, I, I just pray for great wisdom I pray for patterns that would be integrated into the family that might start disciple-making conversations with their children, and that they might continue and grow and develop and be nurtured over these years. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and I think of those um, that uh, passage again in uh, Proverbs, where words can give life and words can give death. So, Father, give us the wisdom to not be foolish and to speak with grace and with hope and with love, even to our children. So we give you this day, and we ask you to honor it. These things we pray in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, introduce yourself. Say, greet somebody today. Have a great week of uh, disciple-making conversations with others.